Again, this evening, we want to welcome each one of you here to the service. We greet you all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, the one by whom we are reconciled to God. You know, there is no other way than through the Lord Jesus Christ that man can be brought back to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, it says, there, If therefore any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. As we look at these verses here, there's several things that we notice. And that is that God sent his son Jesus into this world for the express purpose of reconciling us back to God. You know, there's, he came to, to, to bring us back into a right relationship with God. And when we come into a right relationship with God, it's going to affect all other relationships in the way that we re relate. The second thing is that we see here is that those that have been reconciled unto God, those people are a new creature. You know, it tells us here that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. As I look at that, what it is telling us there, if we go back into the book of Romans, chapter 12, where it tells us that we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now that word transformed there has the idea of a process of metamorphosis. Uh, you know, it's the, the process whereby a worm becomes a butterfly. You know, in our garden at home, we, we have dill, uh, your dill weed or your dill plant, and the swallowtail butterfly loves to lay its eggs on dill. That's what it feeds on. And different times when, the, when we see these little caterpillars starting to crawl on the dill weed, We'll break them off and we'll take them in the house and we'll put them in a container and we'll watch that worm. That worm is not a very pretty looking creature. He just in there, he just eats that dill weed and, and after a while he starts moving slower and slower and slower in there and after a while he begins to shrivel up and he goes into a cocoon. There's no resemblance of that uh, it looks like it's completely dead. And then after a few days, you'll see that, that little cocoon opening, and out of it comes a beautiful swallowtail butterfly. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. But that's the exact... And, I, and I, you know, I often wonder at the creation of God. You know, I believe God created some of them very things to teach us the spiritual truths that he wants us to grasp. You know, that, that process, and that's what I believe Paul is trying to get across, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
And that new creature is going to have a different way of relating to all of life. You know, uh, it, it, you know we have here that we've been reconciled to God, and, and, and that, that new creature is going to relate differently uh, to, uh, to God and also to, to relationships on, a different, on, on the horizontal level. You know, Jesus prays in John 17, verse 21 and 22, that we as his believers, as his followers, would be so reconciled together that we would be one, even as he and the Father are one. And by this the world will know that, that, that uh, God sent Jesus into the world and that we are his children. The third thing I notice in these verses is that reconciliation is possible only because the indebted did not demand payment upon the debtor. It tells us here that uh, he did not come into the world imputing unto men their trespasses. Now that word imputing is the, it's a, it's a accounting term where you have, you know, you, you create a, uh, how should I say, you, you create a debt or you buy something on credit and, and it's, you know, you, you put that on a, you, you put that, re record that down and, and a little later someone, that same person comes back in and he buys something else and you, you add that onto the list and, and you keep that going and in our business, you know, at the end of the month we send out statements and it has a list of all them purchases on it. And, and that's, that's imputed. It's, it's there and down, at the, and down at the bottom it says, you know, this is what you owe. Now God didn't come into this world with a, a statement of account that's late and past due to a person that is unable to pay for it and demand the payment. God didn't do that. He came into the world, it says, not imputing unto men their trespasses, but bringing a ministry of reconciliation. Now, God was willing to pardon that debt that we owed. And therefore, it made it possible that you and I can be reconciled to God into a right relationship. And the last thing we see in this verse is that Jesus came and he brought the ministry of reconciliation so that you and I can be brought into a right relationship with God. He has brought us into his family. But now he's gone back to heaven and he has committed onto us this ministry of reconciliation. Now God has committed that onto our care. You know, as I, I think about that, we're, as we think of reconciliation, reconciliation has the idea of bringing or, or being ministers, uh, going out and trying to, to bring people into the uh, right relationship with Jesus Christ, introducing them to the, to the Savior that didn't come into the world to impute men's trespasses against them, but rather to forgive and thereby making it possible for reconciliation. And not only is it important that that vertical relationship is reconciled, but there also, when that, when that relationship is, is reconciled, it's also, uh, it's also to be expected that the, 
the relationships on the horizontal level will also be reconciled by the same principle. We're not going to impute onto men their trespasses. And that brings me to the subject of this evening. The title this evening is The Freedom of Forgiveness. The Freedom of Forgiveness. And when I talk about the freedom of forgiveness, when we come to Jesus Christ and we repent of our sins, we confess our sins, we yield our heart and our life to him, we experience the freedom of forgiveness. And then, you know, we go from there and we also have our relationships on a horizontal level as well. And when we've experienced the freedom of forgiveness, you know, God also wants us to experience that freedom on a horizontal level. You know, when we are not willing to forgive on the horizontal level, it brings us into a bondage. And one of the things that I'd like for us to consider this evening, it's a tremendous blessing to be forgiven. But I ask the question this evening, why is it so hard on the human level to grant forgiveness one to another? The level of forgiveness that does not impute the sins of another that they have committed or the transgressions or the, the trespasses that someone has trespassed on what I call my turf. You know, why is it so hard at times to forgive? And yet I think one of the things we see as we look into the scriptures, uh, without that freedom of forgiveness, you know, it's going to hold the person who refuses to forgive into a deep bondage. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, just like to... Uh, read a few verses from Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 16, or 9 through 15, actually 9 through 13, we have what is called the Lord's Prayer. And we have there a beautiful model of prayer, a pattern for our prayer life. But in verse 12, he tells us that one of the things that we are to pray, it says, and, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, uh, you know, we look at that there this evening. We recognize this evening that salvation is a free gift. God gives it to all those who will come to Jesus Christ by faith. But there are certain conditions that go with that. Even though it's free, there are some conditions that we must meet in order to find that salvation. And he tells us here that, you know, we are to pray that God would forgive us our sins or that he would forgive us our debts to him as we forgive our debtors. And that puts a condition... You know, as we pray that, that puts a condition uh, on our forgiveness from God that requires a response from us. 
He goes on in verse 14 and 15, and he, he expands on that a little bit. And he says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And so it, it makes it very clear here that if we want to be forgiven of God, it's imperative that we are willing to forgive one another on a human le uh, level. As we look at unforgiveness, unforgiveness, an unforgiving spirit has a very high cost. You know, when one doesn't forgive, it's going to affect the whole the whole of that person's life. In America today, there are billions of dollars that are spent annually for mental and emotional health, when really, when you, you peel it down to the core of what is going on, there is, there is a situation where a person is unwilling to forgive individuals that have trespassed against them. Where there is no unforgiveness, where a person says, I cannot forgive, or I will not forgive, the result of that is going to be inner anger. And out of that inner anger is going to come bitterness. And out of that bitterness, there's going to be, be the constant, subtle cry for justice. Now, we want to see justice measured out because of what happened to me. There's that inner cry for justice. And when that is a part of a person's life, it brings your spirit, your soul, and body into bondage. You know, you're, you know, the Bible tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sins. When we have an unforgiving spirit, it separates us from that spiritual relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ. And, and, and we can no longer have that freedom and that assurance of salvation that, that we once had when we were unwilling to forgive. It brings you into the bondage of a, a person that is unwilling to forgive. Is going to be brought into the bondage of the soul. There's going to be, uh, the emotions are going to be, uh, there's, there's not that free spirit there. It's, it's going to affect our attitudes towards life. It's going to affect our attitudes towards everything that we do. And, and also you'll find that a person that is unwilling to forgive is oftentimes going to fall into the, they're, they're not going to have victory over the, over the flesh or over the fleshly desires of the body. You know, these things bring a person back into a bondage. Unforgiveness will cost a person more than he wants to pay. Where there's an unforgiving spirit, it's going to rob the joy of life. It's going to take away the peace that God wants to give into the heart and the life of the believer. You know, God tells us that when our thought life and our, our minds are pure, we're thinking on right things. In Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, it tells us there, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But when there's unforgiveness... That peace is going to be taken. We, when we're constantly reveling in our minds with, 
with anger and resentment and the cry for justice, there's going to be, it's going to consume our time and that peace is going to be taken. Again, there's, I believe our society today is full of people with anger and bitterness simply because they're unwilling to forgive those that have trespassed against them. And you know, not only is it out there in the world, but I, I relate it to a lot of people within the circles of the church that they're held in bondage to an unforgiving spirit. They won't release someone from the, from the desire of justice and vengeance. This evening I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 18. Again, a very familiar scripture that deals with this subject of forgiveness. I'd like to uh, pick up reading at verse 21 and read to the end of the chapter. It says, Then came Peter unto him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? And Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children and all that he had, and payment to be made. And the servant fell down and worshipped him and said, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and he loosed him and he forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and he cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that, all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and he delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. As we look at this passage of scripture, there's three points I would like to consider this evening. First of all, I would like to consider the question that was asked, how often, how long do we need to put up with someone who trespasses against us? Secondly, we want to look a little bit at the, the, uh, the example that Jesus gave here to see somewhat of the magnitude and put into perspective where our lives stand before a holy God. And then lastly, we want to look at the, uh, the, the mandate or the, 
the conditions there upon a person that refuses to forgive his brother. We look at verse 21. Peter asks the question. He says, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times, and I think Peter thought that he was really going out on the limb. When he thought maybe it would be possible to forgive a brother seven times. But I believe this question kind of arises here in Peter's mind because of the things that, that Jesus has spoken to them just prior to this in chapter 18. You know, in chapter 18, it talks about offenses that are going to come. It talks about the little one. Uh, that it, it's, it, he said, it's, it's, you know, for someone to offend one of these little ones, it was better that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Uh, he, he, he talks about the fact that offenses will come, but woe on, in verse 7 it says, Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. And then he goes on into to verse 15 through 20. He talks about reconciliation within the brotherhood. Now, he, you know, Peter, I'm, I'm not sure Jesus says in verse 15, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. What he's talking about here within the brotherhood, and I, I often say that, you know, we as, we as Christians are, are kind of a little bit like porcupines. You know, the, the closer we get, sometimes the more we can prick each other unintentionally. And so it's, it's talking here about a brother trespassing, a brother doing something that is an offense, a brother that has probably violated some, something that I considered to be my right, and he, you know, Jesus is speaking here of the importance of reconciliations among brotherhood. Uh, he says that if that happens, you're to, you know, go and visit your brother and try to work that out. If it doesn't work, if it, if it doesn't seem to go anywhere, he says then you're to take some mediators, someone that can objectively listen to both sides, and you try and work out that difference. But if he neglect to hear it, you're to take it to the church, and, and, and it's, it's, it's to go before the, the, you know, the church, and, and if it can't be worked out, that person is supposed to be excommunicated, he's to be no longer a part of the church body. He's to become unto you as a public man, public in man, uh, and a, what does it say there? He shall be unto thee as a, a heathen man and a publican. Now, I'm not sure. It seemed to me that, that uh, Peter was, was wondering how long something can go on until we just simply put him in that publican status. You know, he was asking, uh, you know, how long that goes. But one of the things I don't think that Peter realized or was taking into account that even if a person is in that, he's, he's, he's no longer a part, he's as a publican and a heathen, you know, even then we have 
no reason to carry grudges or to be unkind or in any way to bear uh, unforgiveness towards that person. You know, we go back into uh, when a person is, uh, is in that state, you know, we as Christ's servants that have been given the ministry of reconciliation are to be active in trying to win and to redeem that person back into the body of Christ. If we go to Romans chapter 12, you know, it's talking about all men. Uh, it tells us there in verse 17 that we're not to recompense. It says, recompense no man evil for evil, but provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. And dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Or in other words, he's saying, don't try and, and, and mete out judgment or justice on the other person. You know, there's, there's no room for that. The mandate of scripture is that we are to forgive. He says here, avenge not yourselves. But rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, God is going to take care of those injustices in his time if that individual does not repent. But in verse 20, he tells us that we're to go out of the way to, to, to show kindness to that person. He says, Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him to drink, for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head, and be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So even in that state, there is no, there is no place for uh, an unforgiving, a cruel, uh, harsh spirit towards that person. Forgiveness needs to be extended to the transgressor, even if he is not repentant. You know, that is, uh, you know, the, the, the person that, that even though he does not repent of his sin, in our hearts we need to extend forgiveness to that person, just as God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ into this world and to make it possible for men to be reconciled to God. You know, God offers his forgiveness. It's up to man to respond to that forgiveness, to, to, to come and accept Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that he has brought. You know, and there's no limit to the forgiveness which, which Jesus uh, extends onto humanity. And this is the level of forgiveness that, that, that we are to extend to one another. This level of forgiveness enables us to have salvation. And this evening is, you know, if, if we somehow can grasp what it costs Jesus to bring us back to God, you know, it, it, it'll become less difficult to extend forgiveness to those that transgress against us. Now, if I understand the scriptures, I believe that if I was the only person that was living on earth, that Jesus Christ would have gone to the cross, he would have been willing to give his life in the same manner that he did 
if it was only my sins that were at stake. If it was only my life that was at stake. And you know, sometimes we say, yeah, I've heard people already say, you know, I can't forgive. You know, the hurt of this goes so deep that I just, I just can't forgive. And yet, as we look at the life of Jesus, he was willing to give himself. And we take the picture of Jesus there, falsely accused. You know, he, he went about doing good. He went about healing. He went about teaching truth. But one day he's taken by humanity and he's falsely accused. He's falsely accused. He's taken into the courtroom. He has a case stacked against him that condemns him as guilty. Those things alone, what are the feelings of the human heart when those things happen? But beyond that, they, they stripped him of his raiment and they beat him with a scourge. His back was broken and bleeding. They placed on him the crown of thorns. They pressed that thorns down in his face and in his head. And, and I don't know how much you know about thorns, but I could take you on my property there in the back 40, and I could take you into some green briars. I don't know if you have briars like that here or not. But as them, them briars hook into your skin, and you begin to pull them off, that briar pulls, it's, it's in a hook shape that it'll pull itself into the flesh. And they, they crudely tore that crown of thorns, pushed it on his head, and again removed it. And the Bible tells us that Jesus' visage was more marred than that of any man. That is the brutality with which he endured for you and I. And then after that, they took that broken cut back and they laid it against the rough Roman cross. Nailed his hands to the cross and hung him on that cross naked in open shame. And while he was there, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, I believe as I understand my sin before God, it was my sins that required that. In a sense, I was guilty of that death because that was the only way that I could be reconciled to God. It's the only way you can be reconciled to God. Jesus, Jesus returns to Peter here and he said, Peter, you know, forgiveness goes far beyond seven times. He said, it, it not, he said, I don't tell you unto seven times, but until 70 times seven. You know, if you look at that 70 times seven, that there would be 
400, 490 times in a day. And if you divide that out, that would have the idea that if someone trespasses against me every two minutes and 55 seconds, you know, I, I would be expected to give my forgiveness, extend that forgiveness to him. And you may say, well, that's, that's impossible for a person to, to trespass against you every two, uh, two minutes and 55 seconds. It's, it's not possible. But, you know, as I look at an unforgiving spirit, and brothers and sisters, I share this tonight because I was once there. We can be going about our duties of the day, and suddenly a transgression or a trespass of another person that I feel has wronged me somewhere in the past. I don't invite that thought, but that thought, that memory comes back. And, you know, we have a choice. We can bring that thought into captivity and bring it under the obedience bring it into the obedience of Christ or we can allow that to seethe in our minds you know, we can relive the moment we can re-experience the pain we can uh, you know we can relive the hurt and in our minds we begin this mental dialogue in that situation and in that circumstance and you know, while we're doing it, we polish the sword of vengeance. And, you know, we desire to see vengeance brought out. We, we don't really want to see vengeance necessarily, but we'd like to see some kind of justice, if nothing else, just to expose the matter to bring that person to some kind of hurt and shame. You know, those are things that can be relived in the seat of the mind again and again and again. And brothers and sisters, this evening, unless we're willing to take them thoughts and bring them into the obedience of Christ and say, no, Lord, I forgive that person. I will forgive that, that hurt, that pain, that trespass. I, I, you have forgiven me, and I will forgive that person by your grace. It's there that we can find the victory to forgive. And when we forgive, you know, we can be assured of God's forgiveness. But there's people, people I have worked with, people I have spoken to, are continually, hour after hour of the day, reliving the pain, the hurt, the, the, the wrongs that have been against them, and they're, and they're unwilling to let it go. Brothers and sisters, there's two things that happen. That will break our relationship with God. And if, if, and, and if we don't repent of it, it's going to totally destroy our life and being. Now there's people today that live in anger and bitterness and resentment because they refuse to forgive. To forgive, brothers and sisters, this evening is not an emotion. It's a choice of the will. I choose to forgive. It's not an emotion. And uh, 
You know, neither is the forgiveness of God an emotion. It's a fact that we accept by faith. You know, when we forgive a person, we release that person from all desire or demand of justice. And the other thing that I've found in my struggle to victory and some of those things is that when we choose to forgive, we pray for the transgressor. You know, we lift them up in prayer. And it's, it's there, it's, 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 it's amazing what, what that brings, the, the kind of freedom that that brings. I'd like to say this evening that forgiveness is the sweet fragrance, uh, the sweet fragrance of a flower that's left on the foot of the one that crushed it. Forgiveness is the sweet fragrance of the flower that's left on the foot of the one that crushed it. In other words, we don't retaliate, but we, we are willing to forgive. Going on to the example that Jesus gives here, he says that, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain uh, king that would take account of his servants. So when he begun to reckon, he was brought, there was one brought unto him that owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know if you've ever done any calculations about uh, the talents and how much in today's monetary value uh, that would be. But uh, 10,000 talents, uh, with the Bible encyclopedia and some of the monetary values of that day, a pence or one ounce of silver was generally referred to as a, a man's uh, a daily wage for a man. And uh, if I understand right, that uh, one talent would have, equal, it would have taken 3,000 uh, 3, pence or 3,000 ounces of silver to make... Uh, to make one talent. And this was, this was ten talents. And so uh, what, what I calculate it would come up to is, is that this amount was, was uh, 30, 000, or 30 million days wages. I'm not sure where you want to put a day's wage at today, but for round figures, if you use $100, uh, you know, it comes up to $3 billion dollars. This guy had squandered. He had a debt accumulated to his master of $3 billion and nothing to show for. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how he, he kind of made himself to believe that somehow he could pay it back. And I look at that and I see that's, that's just how so many human beings are as they look at their sinful life before God. Somehow or the other, they think that they can make it up with good works. You know, somehow or the other, they can pay it back. But brothers and sisters, there's no way as a servant, as a person working on a day wage that you're going you're gonna to earn back $3 billion in a lifetime. You know, that's, if you take a shekel of silver, an ounce of silver at a day's wage, you know, that's, that's, that's 30 billion years of working or 30 billion days of working to pay back that debt. It's an impossibility. And I believe as he cried out to his master, his master realized that there were not the resources there to pay it. And so it says that the, the master had compassion on him and he simply forgave that debt. It's, he just removed it. He took it away. He, he, unle he, he, un he loosed him from that, that, that burden, that, 
that weight that, that, that held him, and, and he set him free. What a tremendous blessing. This evening, that is what God does for us through Jesus Christ. He, he sets us free. He forgives that debt. Brothers and sisters, this evening, we had a $3 billion debt hanging about us, and Jesus, uh, for Jesus' sake, God forgave us that debt. And it says this same servant, he, he went out and he, uh, he found another uh, servant of his that, that owed him a little bit of money. And it says that he, he, uh, he went out and he, he, it says in verse 28, the same servant he went out and one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, and he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat and saying, pay that thou owest me and his Fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not. But he went and he cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were sorry and came and told their Lord all that was done. Now, you look at the debt that was, that was owed there. You know, it was, if you, if you look at, if you look at, what does it say there? He, uh, he owed him a hundred pence. A hundred pence, again, would have been a hundred shekels of silver, a hundred days' wages. It was something that was well within reach of being paid back, something that could have, could have soon been paid off, and yet that person, that, that man that was forgiven that huge debt, wouldn't hear the cry, wouldn't hear the plea of mercy, and he simply demanded judgment, he demanded justice to be measured out on that individual that owed him that little sum. I don't know this evening what picture you get, but you know the, the, the things that so often become such big issues in our lives, uh, really in light of what we forgive is nothing. On Monday, October 2nd, 2006, there was an event took place in our local community that basically shook the world. There was the peaceful Amish community in the little town of Nickel Mines. A young man walked out of his home, leaving his wife and children. He loaded his pickup truck with an arsenal of guns, and he loaded up some other things that he was going to use to perpetrate the evil that he had in his heart. And he drove to the local schoolhouse there, and he began to do his work. And we see him perpetrating unimaginable evils against the innocent there in the Nickel Mines School. In a few hours, among his victims were five dead and five wounded, some to deal with a lifelong handicap. You know, that that tremor went out basically all over the world. But you know what it astounded the world even more than that event was the response of the Amish community to what had taken place. I just this past week, someone informed me I have an article here from Woman's Day Magazine, and by the way, I do not read Woman's Day Magazine but uh, someone informed me of the article and was kind enough to 
to get it and give it to me. And it's, it's very interesting because of, I would understand a Woman's Day magazine is a very secular magazine, but there's an article in here by the, by the uh, written by the mother of the perpetrator of that evil, Char uh, Charlie Roberts, Jr. And uh, you know, she deals with the, the aftermath and the feelings and the, 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 the feelings she struggled against her son that, who had committed this evil. She, you know, she, she bore that guilt, she bore that shame and that, that welling feeling of unforgiveness and, and where would they go from here? And I'm just going to, you know, she, she's talking about that, you know, the day after the happening, her and her husband that morning, they were, they were there in the kitchen. They didn't know where to go. They, they simply felt that they needed to move out of the area and get away from somewhere to somewhere where nobody knows what had happened. And he said her husband, you know, was a, he was a, a retired police officer and she said he sat at the table that morning just simply broken and weeping. Said he had a dish towel there to, to dry the tears as they, they flowed and they just had nowhere to go. And then uh, she gives the account here how a neighbor man, an old order Amish man, came to their door. He knocked on the door and she says, but as I opened the door, I saw that Henry didn't look angry. Instead, compassion radiated from his face. Walking over to Chuck, he put one hand on his shoulder, and the first words I heard him speak took my breath away. Roberts, we love you. This was not your doing. Don't blame yourself. And so for the next hour, he stood beside the grieving man, and, and she said the interesting fact was that this man had relatives that were victims of their son's um, actions. He said, don't blame yourself. And, and he, he, he went on to try to persuade them that they don't need to move away, that in among the Amish community there was going to be absolutely no retaliations. And so he goes on and she said, you know, forgiveness in words... But she said, even more was the forgiveness in action. These were not just words. The Amish insisted that part of the funds donated to help the victims of the families go to Maria, that was the wife of Charles Roberts Jr., and her children, for they had lost a husband and a father. One grieving father of a girl Charlie had killed, visited, and I shared how brokenhearted I was that our son Zach would not attend Charlie's funeral because he couldn't forgive him. I asked him to pray that Zach would have a change of heart. Of course, he said, then would you like me to call him? The Amish don't keep phones in their homes and have a distaste for such technology. So, he, so, he, so his offer deeply touched me. He left a message asking Zach to forgive his brother and come and support the family. A few days later, Zach was there. He told us later that our pleas had softened his heart, but the turning point had been that message that had been left by the Amish neighbor. Even more deeply, she's referring now to the, the burial of their son, the funeral of their son. She said, I held my composure as our Amish guests stepped forward to express their condolences. 
Among the first to approach us were Chris and Rachel Miller, whose daughter, Lena and Mary Liz, had died in their arms a few days before. Murmuring and greeting to Chuck and me, they added softly, we are so sorry for your loss. Sorry for our loss, I could barely choke out a response. Our son had taken the lives of their daughters and they were comforting us. And in a moment, sudden, in a moment of sudden healing, cl healing clarity came to me that forgiveness is a choice. It's a choice. And I understood, and this is skipping a lot here, but it said I understood the other part of what Amish had said, and that is, if we cannot forgive, how can we be forgiven? You know, that message has gone across the world. But I ask if that was to be our experience tomorrow, what would our response be? You know, I, I am appalled at how many people I hear in our conservative Mennonite circles that say, I can't forgive. You know, I, I, I just, you know, the, the pain goes too deep. You, you need to understand. You need to understand that, you know, this, this, is, this is just terrible. And, and, and those kind of responses. Brothers and sisters, sisters this evening, Healing of our own hearts come when we forgive. As long as we're bearing a bitter, unforgiving spirit, you know, we cannot experience that peace with God. It's only by the hand of God and his healing in our lives that we find the grace to forgive. When dealing with the, the deeds of hurt that others may bring into our lives, you know, there's several things that we need to remember. We need to remember that God is not the perpetrator of evil. You know, God, God does not bring evil, uh, but God has given to man his free will, and therefore evil abounds in the world, and evil is going to affect the innocent. You know... Again, Matthew 17, 8 says, or 18, 7 says that woe unto the world because of offenses. It needs be that offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. You know, to the innocent, uh, you know, God will deal against the offender, but we need to forgive in order to find healing in our own lives. The other thing that we need to recognize is that God is sovereign. He is all-knowing, and his ways are perfect. And uh, if you are in it, you know, God's grace is able to see you through. You know, God has, has given us promises in his word that we can claim that as we lay our lives open before him, he's going to use them experiences of life to show the manifold riches of his grace in each of our lives. You know, but we need to be willing to allow God to do that. Third thing we need to recognize is that God is the healer of broken hearts. He is a great physician. He is the one that can heal. He's the one that can bring renewal. But you know, as we think of God as being the great physician, we look, we look at in, in, the, in the 
the doctors and the physicians of our day, you know, sometimes when we realize that something is wrong, we go to the doctor and we say, doctor, you know, I, you know, this is the problem. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling. And the doctor will prescribe something and, and you know, we'll, we'll go home and, and you know, I, I really don't want to take that medicine. I really don't want to take that. I, um, we, we have some people that we know well uh, that uh, a couple years ago was diagnosed with, with cancer. And of course they went to the doctor and the doctor gave his recommendations of what should be done and, and how it should be treated. And you know, they come home and said, no, we're, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna do this our own way. And, and they went after homopathic methods and, and, and the situation is, you know, it's very grave at this point. Um, and yet, you know, they have run after all kinds of methods of healing. And it, 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 it was a type of cancer. The sad part of it is it was a type of cancer that was very treatable. But today, you know, that person is, is, is it, it doesn't look like the time is going to be long. But, you know, they refuse to take the prescription, they, they, they refused to go after what the physician had told them. And, and you know, there is that tendency of, of people that say, well, no, I, I don't want to do that. I don't think it's going to work. Uh, brothers and sisters this evening, God's formula for healing will work. But we need to be willing to follow through and do what God says. God is the healer of broken hearts. You know, God dwells on, uh, God is, uh, uh, Isaiah 57, 17, talks about God dwelling in the high and holy place with him also that is a humble and of a contrite spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the spirit of the contrite ones. Coming to the last verses of Matthew 18 there, again, Jesus tells us that if we do not forgive, uh, we cannot be forgiven. It says, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother his trespasses. This evening, you know, I, one of the things I struggle with is I, you know, as, as I go out in revival meetings, I, I, I get a burden for a message and I say, why, Lord, that message? Why, you know, why certainly these people now, certainly this isn't a problem, and yet, you know, as, as that burden of the message is laid on my heart, I believe it's for a reason. And I'm not sure tonight if there's someone here that's struggling with a, a spirit of unforgiveness, or if God simply wanted me to bring this message because I believe it's something that we all deal with, we all face from time to time, is how do we respond to people that, that, have, that have disappointed us or, or transgressed against us. But this evening, you know, as I give the invitation, if there's someone here that's heart is bound up in unforgiveness, there's an inner anger, there's an inner cry for justice against someone else, and it's beginning to choke your spiritual life, I invite you to be free this evening. Tonight you can be free. If, if your heart is, 
is bound in those things, God already knows where you're at. And it's by acknowledging our sin uh, that we can find victory. And, and I say there's no better place to, to confess our faults and to get right with God than in the presence of the brotherhood. And so tonight as we give the invitation, if you're struggling with unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, I invite you to come and be set free tonight. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we pause these moments before you. Father, you are the one who knows the hearts of all men. Father, we pray that you would work your work of cleansing, healing in each life, and that we would be a people that would be free from the, the bondage of unforgiveness, anger, bitterness. Father, we commit the remainder of this service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask for an invitation hymn again. This evening we'll sing two verses and if there's no responses, uh, we will close the meeting.